Today we're going to be in 1 Timothy 3. We're going to be starting with verse 8. Now, the last time we looked at the qualities and the qualifications of a bishop or a pastor or an elder and find that there's a lot of overlap and a lot of these terms are synonymous. And this is a sobering picture of what God uh, expects from his leadership, not to men- mention what the congregation expects. Somebody here sent me an email. and It was cute. It was called The Perfect Pastor, and I'll go through a little bit for you. It says, The Perfect Pastor preaches for exactly 15 minutes. <laughs> He condemns sin, but doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. The perfect pastor works from 8 in the morning until midnight at the church, and he's also the church janitor. The perfect pastor is 30 years old, but he has 40 years of experience. He makes 15 house calls a day, but he's always in the office. So who's game for that? <laughs> Today we're going to look at the responsibilities as well to the ladies now, uh, and also the deacons. And what we'll see is, as a family of God, as a church, we all have some type of responsibility. You know, the father, the husband, the wife, the mother, the children. We all serve the same God, and we all have spiritual gifts, and we're all part of the body of Christ. So let's look at that. Um, We're going to see that God sets the the bar high well here as well, and understand that if we're not going in the Holy Spirit, if we're not serving him, if we're not leading with the power of the Holy Spirit, will eventually run out of gas, or worse. Verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also be first proved, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Now, Again, many of these overlap, and we see that as we look through these qualities and and, uh, qualifications that God is looking for somebody who's well-rounded. Now, understand that doesn't happen overnight, and many of us are lacking, and many of us in leadership are lacking. That's why we need his strength. That's why we need him to, to work on us and let him do what he needs to do and understand that Christianity is not a spectator sport. So that being said, these let's just not say, well, that's for the pastor, we should all strive to aspire to these, these goals, okay? Now, as we said last Sunday, the deacons don't need to know how to formally teach God's word from the pulpit, so to speak, but they still need to be examples. So let's look at the first one, reverent. Also can mean, and again, I used a, a, a wide semantic range of the Greek words, used a, a broad scope so we could really get a full understanding of what he's speaking about here. The word is grave, Venerable, honorable, honest, worth imitating. Now, in 1 Corinthians 4.16, the Apostle Paul says, imitate me because I'm a great guy. No, he doesn't say that. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And the word imitate is mimetai, where we get mimic in the English from. So as I behave like Christ, as I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, those are the things you need to imitate. Certainly not when we're in the flesh. Oftentimes, a person will come to make an appointment with someone in the church and say, I need some counsel. And maybe God has already revealed to them in their jobs, in their family life, what they should do. But they're really just looking for confirmation and maybe even to be held accountable. So what if they come to the church and a person sits with them in leadership and says, you know, they talked them into cutting corners or being dishonest. What is that going to do to the person's faith in their leadership? It's not going to be very good. And we have to ask ourselves, how do I represent? And this is for all of us. How do I represent my Lord? Am I reverent? 
Am I careless? Am I disrespectful? Respect is also another portion of this. And you'll find through your life, and you may know some, that those who propagate disrespect will not garner respect for themselves. Eventually, they'll get a reputation, and they won't be respected either. The second point is not to be double-tongued. The Greek word is dilagos, which literally means two words. A word for you and a word for you in the exactly same situation. Rules for you, but not rules for me. I say one thing, I do another. That's dilagos. In the same exact scenario, I tell one person one thing and the other person something else. I tell you what, being in leadership, probably one of the hardest things to do is to show impartiality. Inevitably, and maybe unwittingly, some will come and they'll ask you to maybe bend the rules for them. Now, if it's something small, it's not a big deal. We can show grace. But, you know, that really puts a strain. And we need to be impartial. We need to treat everybody the same, even if we maybe are friendly with some a little bit more. Right? And that's a hard thing to do, but it must be done. Listen, don't be afraid to be a straight shooter. You know, some may not like what you have to say as a straight shooter, but I'll tell you this. They'll like you even less if they find out you're deceiving them. Right? If you try to get away from the, um, the pressure of having to say the hard thing, and you, you know, a lot of you shaking your heads, you say something just to get out of the, the hot seat, and then they find out later that you deceived them. So not double-tongued, very important. The bottom line is be sincere. Sincerity, very important. Now, I'm finding that um, our church lately is probably within the last year, has attracted a lot more young people. And I've talked to them. And they're looking to get away from the insincerity, the hypocrisy, the phoniness of the world, maybe even in their own culture. I had a young man in my office and tell me how shallow his generation was, including him and his friends. So they want to go to a place where it's refreshing, where there's no masks worn. They want to go to a place where there's going to be sincerity. That's why the Apostle Paul puts this in here. Another element of this is, and we'll go into more detail, is gossip. Right? That's being double-tongued. You, in one tongue, say something nice to a person's face, and then when they turn their back, you say something else about them to someone else, and it's not flattering. You know, that's, that's not a good thing, obviously. Be honest. Tell people how you feel. Season it with love and salt, and see what happens. And listen, I can imagine the Apostle Paul coming, you know, in, in this era, in 2011, in this area, I mean, if he did a tour, many would say, oh, wow, the Apostle Paul, can I have your autograph? But I'm sure in some instances, if he turned his back, they would turn to someone else and say, that was a real snarky letter he wrote to the Corinthians, you know. You know what I'm saying? You've seen it. That's why it's funny, because it's reality. Double-tongued. The third point, not given to much wine and not greedy for money. These things keep coming up. Well... It's easy to see how alcohol can affect a man's judgment. That's obvious. We can look at that in the encyclopedia. I'm sure plenty of us have done it ourselves. The physiological effects of alcohol are there. God doesn't want his leaders having bad judgment when they're making decisions. However, what about greedy for money? I'll give you another scenario. A pastor um, is in a struggling church financially, and there's a man that he needs to deal with, or a woman, and they're in sin. And that sin issue has to be dealt with. But the pastor also knows that that man or woman is a good tither. Well, that can change things a little bit now, can it? If I really offend this person, they may leave the church. And we may struggle again. You see the, you see the problem with being greedy for money? 
It's there. It's a judgment. It affects the judgment. Now, someone who does that, a leader who does that, number one, is not trusting in God to lift the church up. And I firmly believe, I firmly believe that when we show God that we don't trust him and we're going to trust others, I think that he eventually says, is that what you want? I will just withdraw my hand from you. And you can have that person. You can have all those people lifting the church up. You don't need me. I might have to be lifted up if I fall right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the bottom line is, not greedy for money. The other problem is, if this person has a sin issue and they're going down the wrong path, how much is it not loving that person not to confront them? You'll just keep letting them go down that path? So that's the other issue with that mode of thinking. Okay, that's why it's put in here. This can also go into other areas. Some of you may be saying, well, I'm young, I don't have money, but I'm good looking and I'm smart. You know, this goes for anything. What are we trusting in? It doesn't have to be money. It could be our, our popularity. We could have a thousand friends on Facebook and think, you know, hey, I'm popular. People like me. What are we trusting in? Are we trusting in our looks, our charisma, our intelligence, our strength. Any of those things will cause us to fall because God will withdraw his hand. Four, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. Now, what does this mean? This means that the gospel previously, the Bible tells us, was a little cloudy. Right? We looked in the Old Testament and we could see uh, if we lived before the first century, yes, this Messiah, there was things about the Messiah. So we had some ideas, but it was a little, uh, a little difficult to understand. However, in 1 Peter, it tells us that in the first century when Christ came, everything was cleared up. Now we understand the mystery of faith. We understand salvation. And the question here is, do you treasure God's word? Do you treasure his revelation of salvation in his son? That's important for leadership. We must be doctrinally sound, otherwise we can't be a leader. Now some may, and listen, it could go with um, uh, maturity and growth and time, but there are some that maybe just are only concerned with God, with prayer, with his word on Sunday morning. The rest of the week, they're just completely not concerned. Right? Again, that could just be maturity that needs to develop over time. But a leader needs to be concerned with defending the faith, no matter where it is. You see, some churches are not very concerned with good doctrine. Others are so far off when it comes to God's word that if they actually had to open up the Bible, it would cause major problems in their administration and the way they do things. I'll give you an example. The Unitarian Church. You can come in there. There's a sign, a local sign. It's right out in front. doesn't matter what you believe. You're welcome. And they won't try to change your beliefs. They don't care to tell you the truth. That's a modern-day Mars Hill. For those of you who are students of the Bible and the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul went. There were gods everywhere. He was looking at temples. He was looking around. That's pretty wow. Look at all this. Everyone had a different belief and a different philosophy. But there's only one truth. Mathematics I love because... When you do an equation, you can only get one answer. That's the truth. You can't be, um, uh, you know, you can't be, uh, you, like, just have any idea about these equations. It doesn't work like that. Otherwise, whatever you're trying to do, mix chemicals, build a building, nothing comes out right. So the truth is, good doctrine, very important. The fifth point here, he says, let the person first be proved or tested. This is the Matthew 25 principle. And it says, faithful in the little first, and then faithful in much. Now, we see this in the world. For many years, I've been a, 
a field training officer at work. So they sent me to school and they basically said to me, when you got new officers coming in out of the academy, you're going to take them, take them under your wing, and you're going to teach them. Right? You're going to show them what to do. Uh, now, when they first come in and they sit in the car, number one, they don't get the car keys. <laughs> that's a $30,000 vehicle with all kinds of expensive computer equipment, defibrillators, and that's a $50,000 car that the township is entrusting us with. They don't get the car keys. They don't get to touch the shotgun. They don't get to even talk on the radio. They need to sit there and observe. And if they're faithful in the little things, then little by little, we walk them through, you know, um, being like a regular police officer. And then you get them to the point where you think that they can be on your own. And then the officer, this is a great program. The officer comes in in plain clothes, the field training officer, and he is in another car. And the uniformed officer, the rookie, goes to the calls. And what's, it's called shadowing. The senior officer watches from a distance. Because they don't want the public looking at the plainclothes guy. That's why he's got plain clothes on. They want him looking at the uniformed guy and see how he reacts with the public. So faithful in a little, faithful in a much. We do it in the world. A new pilot in the, in the now you talk about a $50,000 car. Now you have a new pilot in the military. You're talking about a, sometimes a $20 billion plane. They don't just put him in that plane, you know? So faithful in the little, faithful in the much. Now, in our society, unfortunately, we look at, and the world has this attitude, and Americans seem to have this attitude. The American dream is good, but it doesn't happen tomorrow. You know, I want respect. I want a house. I want a good job. All at the age of 16. Forget about it. At 16 years old, I was flipping burgers for $3.35 at Burger King, you know? And I hear some congressmen make fun of that. Oh, you don't want that kind of job. That's a good job to start out with. It teaches you humility. It's a character builder. Faithful in the little, faithful in the much. Now, in the church, it's even more important because you're dealing with salvation. You're dealing with people's spiritual health. So a leader has to be tested first and then move on to bigger and better things. 11. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things, now, the Greek word for wife can either mean, contextually, a leadership wife or a deaconess, a woman who is a, a leader in the church who uh, is maybe um, involved in a ministry and she has, uh, she's been given you know, the, the go-ahead to do these certain things and given some authority. Uh, but we, we can look at these qualities, and it's not just for ladies. Again, it's for all of us to aspire to. Now, I'll tell you the truth. We could use more deaconesses. I mean, there was like, uh, I believe the count was 80 women at the Christmas, the women's Christmas breakfast. 80 women. That was awesome. What a phenomenal showing for this church. Um, you know, there's a lot of work involved, and we have a few deaconesses doing a lot of the work. We certainly could use more. So pray about that if that's your interest of being an integral part of the foundation of this church. Somebody has to do it. Somebody's got to set up. Somebody's got to clean up. Somebody's got to minister to the women. It's a lot of work. The first thing is to be reverent and not slanderers. Now, the word slander, I love it. In the Greek, it's diabolos, which means devil. <laughs> Don't be a devil. Now, this Satan was a, was a slanderer from the beginning. So his name is synonymous with slandering. Um, and you've got to be careful of that. There's some that just come in, they have a critical spirit. And they might not even outright, they may be sneaky about the gossip. They may be very subtle about their agenda and how they put it forth, always commenting, always questioning, not getting involved, but always have something to say. Careful of that. Careful. 
One of the complaints about the church, um, and I've, I've seen them, you know, I've seen the reports, whether it's they just want my money or, you know, maybe it's the type of people that when they come into the church uh, that they don't feel welcome. There's a crabby or catty or critical spirit. It's not a good thing, and I think it goes with this. There was a great video uh, by Casting Crowns called Does Anybody Hear Her? I su- you know, a lot of you have seen that. I suggest you check that out. I love Casting Crowns because they take scenarios, real-life scenarios in the world, spiritual scenarios, and they put it to music. And there's a storyline behind it about a young, a young woman who wants to come to church, and she's ostracized and shunned until the very end of the video. Does anybody hear her? Does anybody see what she's doing with her life? Does anybody care? Right? So we need to look at that. I find that slanderers are negative people. They see something positive happen, and they just can't bring themselves to be happy about something positive. They always have something negative to say. Right? So watch that. Two, temperate. Uh, not apt to fly off the handle. Now, I'm going to look at this and... Listen, we don't come here Sunday morning to be politically correct. This is going to be for men, and this is going to be for women. And I'll start with the ladies' side about this this quality, and then I'll move to the men. Temperate. Um, I may, or a church may, or pastors may, have the occasion to see a man who's got uh, what it takes, where the Lord is really working on him, and he has these qualifications. However, his wife may use bad judgment. She may be a worldly woman. She may spout off too much. And the pastor may not be able to use this man because according to the scripture, there's got to be a package. And I would say this, ladies, if your husband has a calling and you know he has a calling, don't stand in God's way. I wouldn't want to be in that position. Certainly wouldn't. Now, on the other end of the uh, situation, we had a lady who was a a great uh, ministry leader years ago, or she was part of a ministry, and she had great administrative qualities. Everybody loved her. And I think that her husband maybe felt he wasn't getting enough attention. So he decided to have this lame excuse that the church is growing too big, and I like a small church, so we're leaving. The woman left here in tears. The guy was a jerk, and I'm being nice. (laughs) So you have a woman here who God was using, but the husband's jealousy got in the way of this woman shining, and that was a shame as well. Listen, there's something for everyone here. This, the Bible is the, really the gift that keeps on giving because there's something for everyone in the scripture here. You can be equally yoked with a believer, but also find that you have a real great desire for the things of the Lord and that other person does not, and they may hold them down in some way. Another aspect of this temperate quality is circumspection, and that really means circumspection is to look around. You know, before you do something, before you make a decision, you have to look around. You have to look at the facts. You have to do a thorough investigation. So circumspection is important as well. Move on to the next quality, faithful in all things. And this is really a a sum up, although it's a quality, but it also sums up the rest of them. Reliable, trustworthy, someone who commits and follows through. Committing and following through. There are some that go to work to their secular bosses and give 110%. And if they even serve God, they don't serve him very well. They don't commit, they don't follow through, uh, and they don't give him 110%. And if they were to behave that way, the way they serve God, in their secular jobs, they would be fired. Doesn't God deserve more than that? I mean, I want to please my secular boss as well, but I want to please my boss much more, much more. So we have to look at that. 
A few more that I would add that are based on Scripture, and this goes for leaders in general, whether male or female, is sometimes if the Lord moves us into greater things, we may have to restrict our lifestyles. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we all have friends, and some of our friends maybe are not good examples. If we're believers, and God has called us to leadership, if we hang around with a group of friends that constantly bring us down, if they don't acquiesce to our spirituality, but we acquiesce to their bad behavior, that's a problem. We may have to do something about those relationships. I have friends that are worldly, but I don't let them affect me in a negative way. I want them to come to the cross. It's good to have unsafe friends. So understand the point here in restricting a lifestyle, because I tell you what, there has been relationships in my life that God felt were not edifying, and he's painfully uprooted those relationships. Amen. Right? So, uh, not, uh, apparently a few of you have experienced that as well. The second thing, or two out of three here, is die to yourself. As Jesus said, and the Apostle Paul said, to kill the flesh. There's a certain decorum or comportment or a way a leader is supposed to carry themselves. I remember early on in ministry, um, as a pastor, I tended to whine a little bit. And I would whine to uh, other pastors or men that I know that have been down that road. And they basically told me to suck it up. But, <laughs> but they said, this is your calling. Yes, family and friends are going to pass away between Sundays. Yes, people are going to hurt your feelings. Yes, things are going to happen, but you need to pick yourself up and get back in that pulpit and be an example to the people. It's not an easy thing to do. Just think about what I'm saying here. You know, he said, we don't have the luxury to mourn and grieve like everyone else does. We need to do what the Lord has called us to do. The third point is to be willing to take responsibility. That's a big one. You know what? I don't see it in our federal Washington, D.C. political spectrum. From the president to both houses on both sides of the table, I don't see anyone taking responsibility. We just hit $15 trillion worth of debt, and I'm an econo- I was an economics major in college, and that's troublesome. That's going to hit us one of these days, and it's going to hit us hard, probably in the form of inflation and other things. You're telling me these guys can't sit together, and ladies, and come up with something, and they're arguing they can't cut $1 trillion? Are you kidding me? Nobody wants to take responsibility. They just keep pointing the finger at everybody else. In the church, that can't happen. I've blundered. I've made some blunders. And I've prayed, Lord, help us to go over good because I really need your help in this situation. But you know what? I have to take responsibility for my actions and my decisions. It's just the way it has to be as a leader. Verse 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Reiterates, we're back to deacons again. Similar requirements as elders and bishops, a lot of crossover here. I find this interesting. Bishops, initially, we spoke about. Sometimes bishops today, they're told that they have to be celibate. They have to not be married. According to the scripture, it was assumed that a bishop had a wife and children. There was an assumption made there. Now, it doesn't mean everyone has to be married and have children, but it means that that's fine and that's normal. There's nothing super spiritual about living a life where you can't take on a family. All right, so that just kind of jumped out at me as I was studying that. Now, the word in verse 13 is to, is to make for themselves or to obtain. The Greek word is peripoieomai. Now, peri is a prefix where we get perimeter, 
and periscope around. So here's this word, and it means going all the way around as if in a circle. And they make for themselves, number one, a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, you can't have great boldness unless you're completely self-deceived. You really can't have great boldness and go out in power of the Holy Spirit unless you're on a good footing and a good standing. Some try to do it, and they crash and burn. So this word is good. Um, I'm going to make a movie called My Big Fat Greek Word out of it. <laughs> but what it has to do is building around ourselves. You know, what materials are we using in our lives? As we peripoyeomai, as we start to, what we're really doing is we, in our sphere of influence, in our circle, in our lives, with people that we know, with relationships, with goals, with work, with, you know, whatever we make for ourselves, we all want to be successful, but we should really be looking at God's success. What is within that circle that I've made for myself over the last few decades? What are my goals for the next few decades? Some of these words are very powerful when you start to take them apart. And the Greek is a very picturesque language where you could, just like I'm doing now, you can picture how we do it. What do we put under our tent? What's, what is in it? Is it eternal? Is it edifying to God? Do we have purpose? Is it temporary? Is it fleeting? I would just say this. God wants to make a good standing for all of us. We got young people in here. Listen, I'm 14. What does God want? What can I do? You can do a lot. We start looking at some of these, you know, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. The understanding was that she was pretty young. She may have been like 19. There's some speculations about that. Right? This, wow, what an incredible ministry that this woman had to bring the Savior into the world at her age. Mind-blowing. So you can't be too young and you can't be too old. Whatever your issue is, God can use you. That to me is exciting. Very exciting. Verse 14. These things I write to you, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Powerful words he uses, pillar, ground, church, uh, living God, right? The Apostle Paul's desire, check this out, was to reassure and reassess, to go to Ephesus and help Timothy out. He says, though, but if I am delayed, this is amazing how this letter was totally moved by the Holy Spirit because there's no evidence between first and second uh, Timothy that he actually did make it back there. So he eventually met his demise. He eventually got rearrested. And that was a problem, of course. However, he says, just in case I don't make it, let me tell you about this revelation of the church. Now, we look at the church, we've seen the church for 2,000 years. We've seen a ton of denominations. We've seen pastors, priests, different uh, deacons, deaconesses, organization, technology. So to us, the church, we've always lived with the church. This was something new. This was something new that God was doing, and he wanted him to understand everything about it. So how do we conduct ourselves in a place, in an assembly, and this is good to remember, where God, number one, is present, number two, he's interested in the affairs of men and women. Now let me just step back for a moment. In the temple, years ago, you know, B.C. days, in the temple, you know, God had uh, Solomon build this amazing, gorgeous uh, structure, and there was an actual physical part, a room that was separated by this huge, thick curtain of weave, 
uh, several inches thick, and God, and it was a, um, the mercy seat, the Holy of Holies, and God's physical presence was there. As a matter of fact, sometimes the priests would come in, and God's presence was so overwhelming in the form of like a smoke, it drove them out. It, it, he wasn't being mean, he just was God, you know, he's just being himself. Pretty impressive. Now, when the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in the 6th century BC, they completely destroyed the temple. And what happened was, that's where synagogues popped up. So if, you're, if you know, it's a little interesting historical tidbit. Synagogues popped up because the temple was destroyed and they needed little local places for the Jews to worship in. So they were smaller, all right? The building was smaller, the, the congregation was smaller, but God never promised that his presence would be there. However, go come back to the church. Jesus dies, the Holy of Holy, the, uh, the temple's rebuilt, the, the curtain is torn, rent from top to bottom indicating that God wants to have a relationship with men again, personally, personally. So in the church, when believers come together, we are sealed sealed with the Holy Spirit. God is actually present in this place. I mean, I think sometimes we forget about that, but it's the truth. And he talks about the uh, pillar and ground, the truth. The ground is the foundation. The pillars are supports. These are high standards that he wants us to defend in his church. He's taking this stuff seriously. Now, there are movements today to make churches cool. That's the term, cool. And I I read an article to you by two 20-somethings, and they wrote a great article about how cool always changes, like how that's ridiculous. There's movements today to be like the world to attract the world. Now, Jesus never did that. Yes, he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors, but he didn't go to houses of prostitutions, and he didn't start a business with those tax collectors. There's a huge difference there. We're not to be like the world to attract the world. They want to see something different in us. And if we're acting like the world, then what's different about their culture? Nothing. Nothing. There's a standard. There's a behavior. There's a, uh, an understanding of how we're supposed to be in the house of God. We need to be the vanguard. We need to be the bulwark of faith and good doctrine. And if we tie in leadership here, he's basically saying to Timothy, you need to raise up leaders. But while you're raising up leaders, understand the sobering position that a leader is in in the church. Don't take this stuff lightly. It's good to have fun. It's good to fellowship. It's good to socialize. But be serious about your calling as we start to wrap this up. Verse 16, he says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. As we go through those, we see that godliness, I believe it's Eusebia, starts with Christ and it ends with us. And I'll get to that point. Let's go to the easy one first. It starts with Christ. He was manifested in the flesh. The Son of God came to earth and took on a man's form, the incarnation. Justified in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit descended on him, at his baptism, helped to kick off the ministry, and also Christ worked in concert with the Holy Spirit uh, to do all the miracles that he did. The Son and the Spirit were working big time on the earth. Three, seen by angels. Of course, they ministered to him, and they also saw his incarnation. Now, here's a speculation. I don't know how true it is, but someone went on a limb and made this speculation and said that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God was in heaven, and he made the angels. They really couldn't behold all of his glory even though they were heavenly beings, that he just was so amazing that any created eyes couldn't see it. So the angels rejoiced when they saw him take the form of a man because they got to see everything that he did. Interesting conjecture. 
Don't know how true it is, but it's, it's you know, I see what he's saying there. Preached among the Gentiles, and we know that. The spiritual leadership at the time was hesitant to bring the Messiah or the message of salvation to the Gentiles, but that was a mandate from God. He wanted all men and women to be saved. Preached on in the world, which was the result. It just kept going, the bo- or believed on in the world. The gospel was so effective that, uh, you know, even in the, in the face of Roman persecution and, and torture, more, and you read your Fox's Book of Martyrs, it'll blow you away. These people were mutilated, and the numbers of the church just kept growing. Wow. Received up in glory. Christ, you know, was received up in the ascension, and many eyes saw him, and he was seated at the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession for us today. Now, the mystery of, of godliness. You know, I find it amazing, and I think sometimes on Sunday mornings we have to be reminded about what's at our fingertips. Okay. I, I got this weird story for you. My wife is, um, she just has a heart for people and animals, and I lost the fight on taking in a pit bull, okay? <laughs> I lost. I, I win the good fights and the important fights, but the ones that, all right, she can have the dog, you know. So this dog was abused, all scarred up, its chest, it's, it was, definitely was abused. It's so, you just go and you raise your voice and its tail goes between its legs. Pit bulls are very strong, as, as you may know. They get a bad reputation as well. Um, that's because their owners are jerks and they turn them into monsters. But the bottom line is we have cats, four cats, and they're little nothings and they lay around the house, they don't have front claws. And the dog, when the cats hiss and go up to the dog, the dog runs away. This is a pit bull. He could probably swallow them in two gulps. That dog doesn't realize the power it has inside of it. It's terrified. We have to bring the dog to the food and push the cats in another room. It's really been driving me crazy for the last few days, but he really is. She's a lovable dog. As believers, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? How many of you realize that you have a part of God residing in you as a believer? What do we let and scare us away, brothers and sisters? Right? We're letting the world, we're letting the media say things about us, and we, oh, we're afraid. Somebody writes a book, The Da Vinci Code. I got a guy calling me up, hey, what if it's true? I look at the phone, I'm like, are you kidding me? You know? We're like those, that dog, you know, we have that power, the power of God inside of us, but we're afraid to do anything with it. The mystery of godliness. God, Christ has power, man, and he gave it to us. Could you imagine him hanging out with the disciples and say, hey, Thomas, try it. Yeah, look. Put your hand. Hold his hand. Watch him get up. Look at his leg. Wow, Lord, Master. His legs are getting fatter. His, his, his knees are growing. I, he can stand up. I don't know the ins and outs. In it. I wish there was a video camera back then. I'd love to say I'd be watching them all day long. Even the disciples didn't realize, you have little faith. How long do I have to walk with you? I've given you this power. You can raise the dead. You can heal the sick. Right? The mystery of godliness Yes, Christ said, when I go, it's good that you go because you're going to do greater works than these. What? You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. But collectively, guys, I I limited myself to one place at a time. I need to sleep. I need to eat. But when I go to be with the Father, the Holy Spirit is going to do great things through you. You're going to have power from on high. Use it. Use it. Now, we don't use it to abuse it, but what we do is we use it to bring the world in, to attract the world. The world want to see that when we're getting abused and made fun of and, and things are going rough in our life, that we can weather those storms, folks. That's what we need to tap into, the mystery of godliness. 
So I want to encourage you. Encourage you. I, I don't want you to get your adrenaline up just for the sake of getting your adrenaline up, but take the word, meditate, let it melt into your heart, and let it permeate. Let it go from here to here, to the arms, to the fingertips, to the feet. Do something with it. The question, the age-old question, are leaders born or are they made? Well, I think it's both. We're all born with physical attributes. We're all born with abilities. And when we're born again, we're also giving spiritual gifts. And then the Lord helps to hone those things and makes us what he wants us to be. So for all of you here, I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your disability. God can use you. He can use you to move mountains. Let's meditate on that. And let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you get us excited, not just for being excited, but for, but because we have a purpose in life, that all of us here have a purpose, have a spiritual gift. It's the devil is the one who tries to...